be about elders. Great job, Matthew, of, of putting that in line for the whole service today. I want to say in two weeks, not next week, but two weeks, the, we're going to be talking about deacons. And deacons are a group of people that you largely don't know. Their stuff is kind of done quietly. You don't realize who all are a deacon. We're going to ask our deacons and their wives to come up front for a short time so you can see who they are. We'll talk about the work that they do. And, uh, and just let you see, if, if you're a deacon or a deacon's wife who just can't stand that thought, there's always early service. But, but at 10, I'm kidding, we really want you to do this. We want people to know who the deacons are and the work that they do. And, and so you can kind of associate them that way. And I don't, I don't mean to make anybody feel on the spot, but we just want people to see it, to see you. We, we will make that uh, known also in print, but the biggest thing is you see who among us are our deacons. And so if our deacons and their wives are here, and you're willing, if you absolutely, absolutely detest, and by, by no means will you come up front, we're not going to go and escort you up. We just want to encourage you to do that. And we're going to be doing that in two weeks. They'll be getting some instructions, but I want them to be able to know, even right now, how to plan for that. But we come this morning to this instruction in 1 Timothy 3 on, on overseers, same word as elder or pastor or shepherd. It's all the same role. The words are used interchangeably by Paul and other people. But this is a, a passage that we really only read and study on when we're about to appoint elders. I don't know many other times that we ever read this passage, and I've never done a sermon on it other than the times that we're going to look for elders. But here's a time we're not looking for elders at Valley View. Well, I'll, I'll qualify that later. We're not looking to put in elders right now. But this is a passage, as we come to it, that deserves some attention just because. I will say the last time I heard this read was at a funeral. Gail Holder's funeral. And I haven't, I haven't really heard that read at a funeral before, but Michael Meredith read it, and he said that right there is Gail Holder. And that's true. We all thought everybody was nodding their head. That's exactly right. So there are occasions other than this one, but it's just very rare. I also want to say this. Yesterday was a former elder's birthday. He's 88 years old, and he is always here. He's never been my elder, but I think he must have been an outstanding elder, and it's Bill Harris back there. That's an amazing guy. And I'm telling you, all the way through COVID, and this is not putting anybody else down, all the way through COVID, he was going to be with the saints on Sunday morning. And that is what you call an elder moral persuasion. When Bill says something, I believe it, and I believe he means it, and I believe it's true. And that's the kind of person who serves as an elder. So you could devote this sermon as a birthday to Bill Harris back there. But we come to this passage, there's a couple things you need to know. First of all, is that this passage, remember, we, we've been talking about this all along, that Paul is showing how the household of God is to be structured. This is how you ought to behave. This is how the household of God should be structured. It's very simple. You have the preacher there, yes, but you have the elders who are the leaders of the church. You have the deacons who are the official servants of the church. And you got this preacher there, and that's it. All these other very complicated hierarchies that you see, even, even that whole senior minister where everybody can go and just ask the one guy and he can give them the answer to all their questions, that seems so efficient. God didn't necessarily 
build the church upon efficiency. He kind of built it on effectiveness. You come to a Jeff Madden or Randy Carlton, you come bring in, asking a question of the elders and what the church is going to do. They can talk to you about their opinion, but listen, they're not going to give you an answer for what you're talking about until they go back and talk to the other seven. Now that's cumbersome. That's a little inconvenient. It's a, a burdensome thing because they can't just casually give you an answer to something. They've got to go back and talk to the others. And I believe God designed it that way to say, hey, let's slow this down. Let's be intentional and let's think about this. That's why there's a plurality of elders. If there's a church with just one elder, it's a little bit suspicious you should be. This is how the church is organized. This is the simple structure. And the structure provides a whole lot of understanding for us about the church. Here's something I came up with. I, I really like it, and, 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 and Jeff uh, Madden said he came up with a, a pneumatic for it. And here's what I said. Strong structure solves several situations. Strong structure, simple strong structure solves several situations. For short, you could go, right? That's brilliant isn't it but it's true it, it this it's just so simple and yet and here's the second thing is that Paul wasn't telling Timothy to install new elders he was when you read Titus he was telling Titus to get elders but Paul wasn't telling Timothy that Ephesus already had elders we know that because Paul spent three years there and a couple years later, probably about five or six years, seven years before he wrote this letter, Paul called the elders of the Ephesian church to him at Miletus and gave them warnings. There's some danger on the horizon for you guys, and I want you to pay attention. They already had elders. This wasn't for them to be on the lookout for new elders. This was something to warn, warn and describe for present elders. Remember what your task is. Remember what kind of person you need to be. And the first thing you get about it, I'm going to make a couple observations here. One is the task. What is the role? What is their function? Most of this description is about their character, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But what is their function? What is an elder supposed to do? There's a couple of clues in this passage. One is the word used to describe them. This, this verse in chapter 3, verse 1, doesn't really have the word office in it. We know it's an office because of the way he used it. But he says, if anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble task. Can I tell you, eldership is a work. It is a job you carry out. It's overseer. Episcopos is the word. It is to oversee, is to look over other people and see about their care and their condition. It's an overseer, a person who not only tends to their own spiritual development, but is willing to even embrace the responsibility of looking after other people in theirs. And in fact, they have such a powerful presence about their own spirituality that other people look to them for not just aspiration, inspiration to live their lives. They want to live Christ-like lives. They intend to, and they want others to do the same. And they are looking out after everybody else under their care to see that they're going in that direction. He's already proven the point with his wife and his kids because the elder's wife and kids are following his lead and his example. 
Not only that, but it says outsiders, people who don't even embrace the faith, look upon him as somebody who's admirable and respectable, and they can see why others do follow them. And it's not a recent thing. It's not like, well, I've really gotten a hot streak, and suddenly I've got a a spiritual mind. No, this person has been watched over time. Not a new believer, watched over time. Seen them in several different circumstances, and it seems like across the board, consistently, they're living a Christ-like life and they are taking care of others to nurture that in them too this word if you look at verse 5 where the word shows up again another functional word someone does not know how to manage his own household you can't even inspire your own house how in the world will you inspire other people that's kind of the 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 principle behind this and he says care for God's church this word appears one other time You remember when the good Samaritan helped this person beaten along the road and then takes them to an inn? You remember this? Leaves them at the inn and says, take care of this person, and then when I come back, I'll pay you for whatever it costs you to do that. This is the word described in verse 5. We are to take care of the flock. That's what shepherds are supposed to do. Is somebody hurting? Is somebody confused? Is somebody overwhelmed? Is is somebody really struggling with something? We need to take care of them. I have a, and this is, by the way, particularly in a spiritual bent, isn't it? That's the function. The other clue of the function is in verse 2. They must be able to teach. They must be able to bring the word, of to know the word, to know it in their heart and be able to bring it to bear on the circumstances in front of them. Somebody with a marriage issue, and they really are struggling with it, the elders should be able not just to teach a formal class in the auditorium uh, telling you what Galatians means, but being able to take Galatians and Ephesians and apply them to a specific marriage struggle, that these people have confidence that these elders have a grasp of it enough not only in their mind and in their own lives, but they can bring it to bear in theirs as well. I have confidence. I can go to them for this with a parenting issue, a marriage issue, an interpersonal problem at work with somebody, and I just don't really know what to do. The elders should be the kind of people that you have a hunch, a really strong hunch they know what to tell you, and they can encourage in that about you. So the first thing we read in this is the function, the role, but then there's an issue of character all the way through this. In fact, that's the dominant emphasis of this passage is all the characteristics right sometimes in politics you'll hear this debated what's most important that they have this political uh, wisdom and savvy or that they have character which is it and I think we've proven in our culture that it's the savvy right character really kind of as a secondary thing for most people it's economy stupid right isn't that what they say well there's that but in the church listen this is one way the kingdom is different than the world In the kingdom, character counts more. We expect those guys who are serving as elders more than than having worldly success that they have spiritual maturity. They have this character, uh, this depth that says, I'm going to live my entire life under the dominion of God revealed through his word. And everything about their lives shows that they intend to honor that word. Not just presenting it, memorizing it, knowing it, but living it. And their lives are lived in moderation. 
when it comes to drinking, handling money, handling their anger, dealing with other people, all parts of their lives. They handle it all thinking, what does God have to say about this? How can I be most godly? And then there's all sorts of debates we have from this passage, right? You've heard them. We've debated them in the church for years. Most of them can't be solved by the words of the passage. Most of them don't have answers in the text. They have answers in the local context as it views the text. Let me give you an example. Ken at Missouri, I was sitting there. I have this doctorate, right, from Harding. I'm really smart, right? Real brilliant guy. So this country guy... Jeff Wade from Bakerville, he's gone now, but it's a church between Kennett and Hayti. And he comes, he's, just, he's got this hat on all the time, and he kind of comes with a cane. He's a little weak at this time. His wife had just died. He'd been married for 50 years. Great guy, great wife, good marriage, all that. He comes in, and he says, I just want to ask your opinion. He's wanting to get this formally educated guy his opinion. And he says, my wife died. Can I still serve as an elder? I know what the passage says. He needs to be a one-woman man. That's literally what it says, or a one-wife husband, whichever way you want to interpret that. But that's what it says. And I said, it says in there exactly why that's important. So that uh, the way you run your household will be the way that you, the way they respond to you shows that you can be responded to in the church. I said, I think you've proven the point. After 50 years, you've proven the point. You can still serve as an elder, I do think that that's a, a, a viable position. I think that's okay to think that way. But I think it's up to the local church and how they feel about it. Because what he then looked at me and said is this. When I serve as an elder, I need the woman's perspective on everything. And I have my wife there to have that. And now I no longer have her there. So I don't feel like I can serve. And I was just sat back and I went, that's one of the smartest things I've ever heard in my life. I kind of think he's right about that. I don't think either one of us was necessarily wrong. I think he was a little more right, in my opinion, and I appreciate it. He stepped down. He later on married and served as an elder again. Other people have a problem with that because that's a second wife. I don't see that because the first wife is dead and gone. He can't do anything about that. But you might think differently. Listen, the text doesn't answer that question for you, but the local church is going to say, who do we respect most? If we're not going to respect this person and not going to be willing to follow him, then you need to say, listen, I think that's enough to say he shouldn't be an elder. And there are people that will say this. Won't solve that. Do you have to have more than one child to be an elder? Because it says his children obey him. Well, children's plural. So if you just have one Does that mean you can't serve as an elder? This came up at Kennett before I ever got there. One guy who had adopted one child only had one, and there were some people who felt that way, but the elders got together, they talked about that, and decided, no, we feel like it just means whatever children he has, one or many, must be faithful. Makes sense to me. I can see both points because I know this, and anybody who has more than one kid knows this, just because you know how to handle one doesn't mean that that next one's going to be like that first one. Have you noticed this? Anybody noticed this? Matthew, have you discovered this yet? Yeah. <laughs> See, it's, and, and the idea of being able to balance all these weird personalities and, and still trying to balance, that's great practice 
for the church, right? Because you all are a bunch of weirdos that are different. And how do you know? No, because of that. Well, okay, what about this? What about he has served for an elder for a long time? And his kids get to be 35 years old and just decides, you know what, I'm not going to, I'm going to just kind of be a nominal Christian if a Christian at all. Does then, because his kids chose that at 35, mean that he can't serve as an elder anymore because his kids aren't submissive to his leadership? All these discussions we've had over the years, and none of them are answered by the text itself. It's about what's in your mind and whom you will respect most. And can you follow someone who you admire in every way, but this one little thing right here doesn't quite fit what you've always thought, but do you still follow? Do they still inspire authority in your life? Those are questions we can't always answer. But for Timothy, he's bringing all this up in a time where even the elders are involved and not quite doing their work. They're not stopping people from teaching error. And they're not really living up to their lives because some of them are getting greedy and teaching for gain. And all of this is happening, and he's, he's, he's describing, guys, this is who you need to be. If you're not willing to be this, I think he would say to them, you need to step down. Now some more practical stuff. What's interesting to me about the description of the qualities of an elder is they're remarkably normal. There's nothing outstanding in this passage. It's not like an elder has to be faithful to his wife while average members can run around on theirs, right? Does anybody know? Is, because elders have to be faithful to their one, does that mean you don't have to if you're a member? I just want to be a regular member who sits on the pew so I can run around with my wife. Do you think that's okay? No, no, that's, this is not optional stuff for you. Uh, uh, an elder can't fight the other elders and other members. Can't beat them, can't kick them, can't punch them. But regular members, they can have three fights a week. Do you think that's kind of okay? I can lose my cool and I can beat the tar out of somebody three times in my week. That's okay, I'm not an elder, I'm just a member. None of these are descriptions that you're allowed to dispense with as if you have some kind of permissive God who says members can run around, but elders, they're held to this higher standard. They're held to the same standard that every child of God is. It's just that they've embraced them with a little more sobriety, seriousness, and they've done it over a period of time that proves they're absolutely serious about living their lives faithfully. So much so that others go, I want to be like that when I get there. I want to be like that. And so they inspire. That leads me to a second one. Elders don't have police officer authority in your life. If they did, several of you would be ticketed through the week. You'd be at Walmart and you'd say something to your kids because you were mad and around from the other side of the aisle, here comes an elder. I heard that, right? You a ticket. They don't have that kind of authority. If they did, Tony Pearson would be in handcuffs half the time of his life, right? Handcuffs because you, you did something, you, you, you were mean to your wife one day. Handcuffs take you out, put you in jail for three days in the nursery at church, and then they'll let you out on Sunday morning service. That's kind of like, that's kind of like this official, that's not the authority our elders have. The only authority they have is the authority you give them. Isn't that weird? 
The only authority they have is the authority you give them and that they've earned with their integrity, that they've lived before you over a long period of time. And you look at them and you say, I want, I want to be part of that church because I want to be led by that guy because that's where I want to be when I get there. That's the persuasion, the moral persuasion of an elder. And it's very delicate. But that's how God intended it. Not some kind of position. Finally, what is this listing for? I won't say finally, I've got a couple more, but what's this listing for if not to install new elders? And I think it's because, at Valley View at least, right now there's no discussion in elders' meetings. I'll kind of come out of my uh, confidentiality and just say, I'd, I don't remember the last elders meeting we talked about. We seriously need to pursue other elders. But can I tell you, the elders are always, always looking for eldership behavior. Always monitoring it. Because I can tell you, it doesn't take very long for another generation to grow and to lose a few of these elders, and all of a sudden you're in trouble. I can tell you there's churches that were strong just 10 years ago, and now they're just struggling to keep elders, a couple of elders there. It is hard to do this. You've always got to be looking out for the kind of people, and it doesn't happen overnight. It's not like we take an eldership course where these three weeks you take an eldership course, now you're qualified to be an elder. It takes years, guys, a body of work over life to develop a respect in people that would cause them to want to serve under you as elder so there are people in this church we're watching y'all there's people we're watching kyle madden i got my eye on that guy kyle madden now he's just i mean he's just been married for a little while just got a first full-time job somewhere you know, he's going to have beautiful kids one of these days, but he doesn't have any kids yet, and they're going to be in good physical shape because they're physical therapists, all that stuff. They're, they're all going to, that's going to be great. He, 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 but he's where he needs to be at 25. He's where he's at, he needs to be at 25. But I, need, I want him to start thinking about, you lads to leaders, young people, we're not just doing this so you can lead a song. We're doing this so you can lead your families and your life and lead the church. That's what we're doing this for. I'm looking at eldership material 40 years into the future. We need to be doing it now. We're not going to, oh, well, I've got to kick into my eldership gear at 40. No, you've got to be starting this already. You've got to be aspiring to this already. So I'm looking around, I'm looking at Ryan Altum doing a beautiful job, and Casey, what a beautiful job, and they're going to get on to me for saying their names, but I'm looking, at, I see you leading already, you're doing what you need to do now to be an elder then. Mitchell is too, but he's married to Lori, I don't know about that. I... And a little concerned about how Trey's going to turn out too, I just, I don't know. Wyatt Reed. Well, hold on just a minute. He's a young kid. I know he's a young kid. What's an elder at 50 look like when he's 20? He looks sort of like that. Only problem is it's been seven months since he's even had a date, so he's got to get married sometime. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just kidding. I'm just saying, look at all. Listen, we have got to be doing this. And you men, I don't care what age you are, do things now and live now because now counts. 
And that's what I think he's telling Timothy. You always be on the lookout for this because we're going to need these all the time. Zach Holcomb and, and Ashley, I look at them, that's the future right there. I mean, they're present already, but that's a future elder right there. Matthew Walton, I see these people doing stuff now. And one more thing, I mean, if these elders have a responsibility to oversee you, they need to know who they think they're supposed to be overseeing. That's why we do this membership thing. Every once in a while you hear up from the, the pulpit, we've got a new member, a person who wants to be here, who wants to. I assume this, listen, we, and we need to say this better. We're not doing this right. Before you do that, let me tell you what you're doing. You are saying we are putting ourselves under this eldership. We want them to hold us accountable for pursuing Christ's likeness. We're giving you permission to be involved in our lives, to help us become like Jesus. That's what you're doing. So when they come to you, don't be mad and don't be frustrated. That's exactly what you signed on for. I just think a lot of people don't know that. And we need to say it. And so I think the elders, we, we intend to, I think they intend to, but, but, but what I intend to is every time there's a new man, come in and meet with the elders first because, listen, you are coming under the oversight of these eight men here and you need to know who they are. And they certainly need to know who you are. And leading this group this size is, is, ver is just so challenging. And no, no one of our elders knows all of you very closely, but I feel like each of you has some kind of closeness with one of them. And together they share that. But just like at your house, you know who can come in your house without knocking. And if you're a member of this flock, you can come in this house without knocking. But also what comes with that is that, the, is that the structure of this house is that this elder has a responsibility to oversee your life. And if there's something he understands that's hurting you or damaging you, he's going to come to you and talk to you. And please don't take that personal. Take that as your overseer loving you. I've been part of two churches in my life. And full-time wise and both of the first one was a the, the slice street was like where God placed me because he put me in this eldership of people strong strong men of God and they said we're going to meet every week it doesn't matter if we have anything pressing or not if we don't have anything pressing we'll handle a passage or we'll just talk and share life and get to know each other and over years the love that developed and the respect and and those guys led that church so strong and here's the deal 70-80% of the stuff that disrupts other churches does not disrupt the church that has strong elders. That stuff just doesn't even gain traction. It doesn't gain a hearing. It doesn't cause a blurb. Blurp, blurb, what? It doesn't cause anything because these strong men know how to handle it with their integrity and their intention of loving this church. That stuff's not coming in here, and the people respect it. And the people know that they're cared for. And when the elders come out, and maybe there's something they do that you just don't understand, I don't get it, you give them the benefit of the doubt because, you know, I know those guys, and I know there's a reason, and I trust it, even if I don't know it. That's strong eldership. I saw that in Kenneth, and I didn't want to leave that for just anything. I wasn't going to leave that for just anything. So when I started the conversation coming over here, I met with the elders two, three, four times. It took forever. I know it took forever. There's a reason. I didn't know quite how to take Paul Wallace. 
Am I going to give up this for an eldership that has that? Uh. Do you understand now? Does it make sense now? Yeah, everybody's like, wow, it's a miracle you came. No, Uh, you you check all that. Listen, I know what to check for. I've been to preacher's meetings. I've been to preacher's meetings where they just chalk up a bunch of elders and talk about how bad their elderships are, and I've never participated in those discussions, not because I'm an angel, but because I've never had a bad elder experience, and I intend to get out of my career saying that too. What you have here, and I'm not saying this because they wrote it, There's a strong eldership presence here. And they've been challenged more than any eldership I've ever seen with this COVID stuff. I don't don't know what other elders did, but it was tough. They got through that thing, and we're still united. We still love each other. You need to once in a while thank God for that. Because I know places that don't have that. And I know preachers who experience something other than that. This passage comes along and tells us that there's a simple structure to the church. The elders are the ones with moral persuasion that lead the church, and the deacons serve it, and the preachers kind of like fit in there somewhere. And the idea is that's how God wants the church to be, and that's how we're going to handle false doctrine, and that's how we're going to handle division and conflict that rises up by having godly men, and you've got it, and you thank God for it, but you never assume anything And you never assume it's always going to be that way and this church is always going to be solid because this eldership cannot answer for the eldership 20 years from now. They cannot do it as much as they'd want to. So we're on the lookout for people. And we're watching you guys and your wives and your families. We're watching because we're looking for people to take over after that. This morning, if there's something amiss in your life, something you need to make right, repent, confess. This is a safe place. You've got godly men to receive that, that confession. But if you've never responded to the truth of God and become part of the family of God to see the kind of, the kind of body that God wants us to have and be strengthened by you, we'd love to see it. Confess the name of Jesus from your lips. He's the great shepherd. He is the chief shepherd, he's called. And, and, and just say his name as your Savior. Be immersed in the waters of baptism, rise to walk a new life, be put into a a body of people with a bunch of elders who long for you to get to heaven with them, a great big flock from on the hill, represented well in eternity. If you're subject to that invitation, make it known as we stand, as we sing.